Do you want to know what it takes to work as a high-performing executive assistant? You'll find out when you listen to the EA Campus podcast. Join me, Nikki Christmas, the founder of Practically Perfect PA and the EA Campus, for a weekly interview with successful assistants who all have first-hand experience and lessons to share on what it takes to excel in the role. Tune in, get inspired, and learn how to create an assistant career where you are valued, motivated, and ready to face every challenge head on. Whether you are an assistant just starting in your career or prepared to move to the next level, building a successful assistant career just got a little easier with the EA Campus podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast. Today, we have the wonderful Aisha Everett Khalif with us, and we are going to dig in some, into some really interesting questions because Aisha has had such a varied career. Aisha, welcome to the EA Campus podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for joining us. So as I said, we are going to have an interesting conversation today because you've covered many different aspects of the assistant role and you've branched out into different areas as well. So we're going to get into all of that detail. But Aisha, it'd be great to get a sense of your career to date. So why don't you let us know? Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. I think it's a great grounding question, right? So first and foremost, I am a mother and that's really helped me to navigate my career in a unique way. So I'm a mother of five children and and in my marriage, my husband has a daughter as well. I have a bonus daughter who's absolutely beautiful and brilliant. And my career path, my journey started with administrative work. So I began early career as an executive assistant. Then the roles progressed into executive assistant slash personal assistant slash a combination of both. I've worked in different industries and different spaces. So it requires a different level of engagement from each assistant role. And after serving as an executive assistant for a number of years, I then moved into administrative services manager role which really just drives administrative functions across an organization. So you have different executive assistants that you collaborate with to get the work done. I've also stepped outside of the corporate space for a little bit, a number of years, and owned my own business. I decided I wanted to do something that I felt like I was really good at and provide that service to other families in the neighboring community. So I served as an owner and founder of a private early education school in Smyrna, Georgia. So I did that for a number of years and then decided, okay, I've enjoyed this ride. Maybe I go back and take what I've learned and try to go back into the corporate space and leverage the new skills that I developed in running my business in a different capacity. So at that point, I had ambitions to not only serve as an executive assistant, but like my, my, like my dream role has always been, uh, for many years, a chief of staff. So I went back into corporate with my eyes focused on, I would love to be able to elevate myself from an executive assistant to a chief of staff, which is the role I currently serve in at my organization. We have a different title for that role. We call it a business manager, yet it is a chief of staff role. So that's been my journey over 20 plus years now. 
Wow. There is a lot to dig in from really what you've just said there. First of all, I want to know how you manage five children. That's an extra one. Oh my goodness. Any tips you can throw my way as a mother of two would be very greatly appreciated. So we'll come back to that one. But talk to me about the main aspects of the role that you're in at the moment. So when you started in the organization, did you go into that organization as a assistant and then you moved into the business support role? chief of staff type of role. And if that was the case, could you talk me through how you started as the assistant and then moved into to that additional role? Yeah, that was that was actually a very interesting journey. I remember at the time I was in the process of moving from the city that I lived in at the time and was contemplating other cities I could move to. So as I began my search, I started with executive assistant positions, but I really wanted to focus on those executive assistant positions that were pretty aggressive really demanding, required a lot of engagement, interaction. I was open to some travel. So like I mentioned before, the different ways that executive assistants work and support the executives that they're connected to. And it really just depends on that executive to determine how dynamic this role is going to be. So I remember interviewing for the position and the person that I was interviewing at the time was the vice president of this organization. This Within my company, we have different business units. And so this particular individual was a vice president of a certain business unit within the organization. And so he was looking for someone that could help him with design thinking, who was passionate about innovation, who wanted to bring diversity, equity, and inclusion into the role. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So I moved into that role after being offered the position. And upon moving into that role, the wonderful thing, it's actually a beauty of the organization that I work for, they encourage involvement in different aspects. So of course, they want you to really realize the current role that they've hired you for, but there's so many other opportunities and ways that you can get engaged with the company. They have a multitude of ERGs. They have other volunteer opportunities you can, you can participate in locally, as well as in other parts of the U.S. because we're a distributed workforce. So there are a different, there are a myriad of ways that one can be connected. So different stretch assignment opportunities that I participated in allowed me to exercise those muscles, if you will, in a way that I did not in my regular role. So when the business manager position was became available, someone reached out to me and said, Aisha, I think you would love this position. I was like, are you serious? And I met with different people just through networking, coffee chats, et cetera. And one of the first questions they would ask me is, Aisha, what do you see yourself doing next? What is your favorite thing to do if you could create your job? And I was like, are you seriously asking this question? They were genuinely curious about what I wanted to do. And I told them, I want to be a chief of staff. That's what I want to do. And when this position became available, I had two people to reach out to me and they said, I think this position is going to be a great match with what you, what you, your skill set that you currently possess. So I applied for the position and was, went through several rounds of interviews and then ultimately landed the job. So in this role, I get to liaise and support the senior vice president of the particular business unit I'm a part of. And I help like my primary job responsibilities are communication, culture, engagement, diversity, equity, and inclusion and operationalizing these different aspects of what make us who we are and connect them across the different business, like the subgroups within our business unit. So it is quite a dynamic role. It's a it's a very interesting role. It keeps me on my toes all the time, but it brings me so much joy and satisfaction. 
And remind us the name of the organisation you work for, because it sounds like the setup there is so different to a lot of other organisations. So what's the name of the organisation that you work for? Sure. So the company I work for is CUNA Mutual Group, and I have um, in Madison, Wisconsin. Wow. And what's the industry that you work in? Insurance. Insurance. So it's interesting. I used to work in insurance. That's my background as well. And I have never experienced an insurance company that has that structure that yours does. I would imagine it's quite unique. So to get a sense of it, within your department, your head of department has a business manager. Do they also have an assistant that works alongside the two of you? Yeah, they do. And it's like the call it the magic, the magical trifecta, because his senior admin is key to doing all the things that I want to do and all the things that he needs to do. And I think it's the magic of that dynamic that helps to facilitate the transformation and the growth and all the things that we want to accomplish as a team. She's absolutely key to that work. And because you would often get that set up when it's the CEO of an organization or the founder or the chairman mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be. But does that, or does that three kind of three, if you could word it like that, yeah. does that sit, does every business unit have that structure in your organization? Uh, that's a fantastic question. Every business unit does not. However, there are more business units that see the value in this sort of uh, arrangement and the structure in terms of having a senior leader still maintain support with an administrative assistant, as well as having someone to work alongside the senior administrative assistant to do the other, like managing other parts of the business that the senior administrative assistant won't. So for example, her role is more of the, she schedules, she has line of sight into his day going several months out. She knows by way of managing his 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 inbox and his calendar, she knows what's important. She knows what's top of mind. She knows who the connecting pieces are. She'll have that level of insight and detail, which is valuable because when we think about operationalizing things such as culture, putting that into practice, diversity, equity, and inclusion, putting that into practice. She's a person that I go to say, hey, how might we make this meeting happen? What do you think we can, how can we create more efficiency in this area? What is a, what, who is he meeting with this week? Is this a relevant topic? Do you think, so she's very, her role is probably more integral than she probably gives herself credit for, to be honest with you. But without her in that role, I think there would be a gap because I think what you run into is a scenario where I'm trying to get time and get all these things versus just going straight to the person who holds the key to all of those pieces. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a lot of conversation in the assistant industry at the moment about assistants moving into a chief of staff type role. They are different roles. They offer different things. What I find really interesting in your situation is, like I said, it's not the very top of the organization that's working at this level. It's the next stage down. And I love that because I think that kind of, as I was saying, the three different roles there really drive an organization forward. So to have that in every layer of an organization or other parts of your organization seeing the value of what you're doing, really encouraging. It really shows how vital a chief of staff 
or a business manager in your case, and an assistant supporting a senior executive, it shows how much value there are in those support sort of functions. I think that's really encouraging, especially in an industry like insurance that can be quite complex. I'm trying to think of yeah, yeah, <laughs> complex and slow to change. Yeah. <laughs> I think is maybe the word for it. <laughs> it's encouraging. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's so funny because in my mind, I have this image of Madam Secretary, right? So that's one of my all-time favorite shows. And I've seen this model at work. I've seen a chief of staff and an executive assistant work together with a senior leader to bring an organization, as you said, forward. I've seen them create efficiencies. I've seen them use the lean on each other's strengths, right? So they're different. There's a different value that I think each role adds to the organization. And when done well, when those things are brought well together, when there's alignment, when there's clarity of roles, when there's a clear understanding of the objectives, it's, I think it's one of the most, it could probably be like a selling point, I imagine, for a lot of organizations. But I do think that it's 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 something worth doing. I've met some executive assistants at my company and in other spaces who have a desire to elevate themselves from serving in an administrative role to then serving in a chief of staff role. I've also met people who really appreciate the work that they're able to do within their current role and just want to find ways to sharpen the skills that they have. But they're like, I like a chief of staff role, but I don't like it for me. I prefer working in this way with the executive, whereas other people, I want to help create these efficiencies and these opportunities and build these teams so that these senior leaders can do the work that they're tasked with doing in a different way. So I do believe that your passion and your your drive, and it could change over time. I think that really helps as we lean into those different parts of the organization. It's nice that the opportunities are there. I think that's what's been really nice and has changed over the last few years is that people are look or organizations are looking towards assistance to move into other types of roles and that their skills are valued and are seen for the value that they bring to an organization. So I think that's really encouraging. I have to ask, because you had moved from an assistant role into this business manager role and you're working with an assistant, how have you found that transition? Has there been any point when you've been starting to do the assistant work and then realize, no, that's not your job anymore? (laughs) I wonder how you've found that. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's actually a real experience. When she and I first started working together, I think we both, I referred to it as a tricky dance, right? We were both trying to figure out, do we put our left foot forward first? Do we put our right foot? What do we do? How do we move together with grace? How do we bring the value that we have collectively to this organization that I know we have? And so it took some time because she was new to her role and to this business unit. I was also new to this role and to the business unit. So We both spent the first couple of months learning together. And I did find myself in early stage moments going, oh, I could just reach out and I could just, and I was like, I don't need to do that anymore. I need to let her do that. And I found that there's a sense of empowerment, right? That a person wants to feel. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel valued. They want to feel like their work matters. And I realized that the more I tried to just out of years of habit, do the work that was really for her to do. I took something away from her, being able to elevate herself and being able to demonstrate her skill set. So I would just make some really mental notes not to do those things. And I would engage her in a candid conversation. 
Of course, she had never said to me, Aisha, I don't need you. She never, she was so graceful. But it was just one of those moments where I type, I like to take these moments of reflection to think about what were my wins for the day? What were my areas of opportunity? I often tell my kids, you, whatever you did today is what you did today. You go to bed, you wake up tomorrow, you have an opportunity to do some things better than the way that you did it the day prior. And so that's something that's a message that I have to, I have to remind myself of. And so that's how I was able to do that in that particular role. But the moment we learned how to dance together, it became magical. And it became one of those experiences where she knew what I was thinking and she would just do something because she knew that it was needed. So her level of anticipation began to open up my level of anticipation in terms of what her needs were began to open up as well because we started lean more on each other and allow each of us to move in the ways that would be most beneficial for the work that needed to be done to support the business unit. That's so good to hear because it's the same for an assistant working with an executive or a chief of staff working with an executive. It's the same thing, isn't it? You've got to learn how to work together. The executive has got to learn to let go of certain things so that the other two members of staff can pick those up. So it's nice to hear that is always happening and you're always having to learn how to, I love how you've put it, how to dance together. That's It's, it's so very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I want to dig in a little bit more about what life looks like for you outside of work as well. So I think a really good place to always start is in the morning. And from what I gather, yours must be quite hectic. So why don't you let us know what your morning routine looks like, how you start your day and how you get into the kind of work mindset. Yeah. So my mornings are not nearly as busy as they used to be, which is why my career journey has been a little different over the years. So now my children are between the ages of 17 and 25. My youngest is a senior in high school. So my obligations in the morning, the ways that I feel responsible for getting them out of the door and on their day are very different. Now I feel like I'm in a different season of my life. And so I can spend my mornings kind of focusing on me. And it's one of those things, it's like, when you get to that space, you're just like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. So I move slowly into my day. I used to have very bad habits of waking up, going immediately to email, immediately to work-related matters. And then I felt like the days never ended because I didn't start the day with something outside of work. I start my day every day with myself. I center myself. I just try to take in the beauty of the outside. We have a home that has like beautiful windows everywhere. And that was not always the case. So I really take advantage of that sunlight. And the first breeze in the morning, I might make myself a cup of coffee or make myself a cup of tea. And then I will shift to something that I think will pour, like kind of pour into myself. So it would be a podcast. It might be a chapter of two on an audio book. And I just kind of zone out a little bit and think about, okay, what do I need for the day? Like, How can I prepare myself mentally, emotionally, and physically to deliver my best to everyone this day? And it could be a podcast with Renee Brown. It could be a chapter of an audio book that I'm listening to in that moment. It could be music, but whatever it is, it has nothing to do with work. And then after that, I'll get started with my workday. Most of the days they end pretty late. Uh, But I've found ways to throughout the day, knowing that since I live on Eastern Standard and my company is based in Central Standard, there's an hour difference. So my work days, if I aligned my schedule with the 
Central Standard Hours, my workday wouldn't officially end until 6 p.m. or later, which is quite late. So I've found creative ways to take meetings on a walk. So I will go for a walk in the middle of the day. If I'm in a meeting and I don't have a deliverable in that meeting, or it's not necessary for me to have my camera on in the meeting, that's another way that I get to pour into myself. So I can still find ways to prioritize my health. And like I said, take advantage of the outside air, whether it's cool or cold or warm, because it, it just, the change of scenery, if you work in front of your computer all day can be like medicine. To, so those are the ways that I try to move through the day. And talk us through how your setup is. What's happened now since the post pandemic? Are you working from home? Are you in the office? How has that worked for you? Yeah. So I work from home full time. Our company has allowed us to choose which method and structure would work best for us. And for me, I'm in Michigan. So, you know, obviously going to the office on a regular basis would not be the most realistic thing for me to sign up for. However, as we're in a hybrid model, which is what we've elevated now as a company, we want to create opportunities for people to connect in person where, you know, when possible. So there are times that I would travel to you know, Madison or, or other cities for other work-related meetings or conferences or events. And and that's been really good. But I do really love being able to work remotely. It does require a different level of engagement and intention because you are not, you know, there's certain social cues and things that you cannot pick up on when you only connect or you primarily connect with people through video or something like that. So there's a different exercise that we must go through in order to maintain healthy work dynamics and work relationships, but I really enjoy it. It sounds like you've got a good balance that you've, as you said, you've thought about the times in the day when you can maybe take advantage of, as you said, not having your camera on, you can go out for a walk, you can get some fresh air, you can have a break. It sounds like you've been quite intentional in terms of how you work, which I think a lot of us are still trying to establish. I know it's been a few years, but it feels like a lot of us are still trying to get used to being at home or having those days in and out of the office and how it works in the office and how it works at home. So it, it sounds like you've given it a lot of thought, which is really good. We really have. And I think one of the things that I noticed is when we all had to begin working from home and our children had to go through their classes from home, none of us really knew what to do or how to manage it. We even thought naively that this was going to be something that we had to move through temporarily, right? So we thought, okay, in six months or next school year, the kids will be gone and I don't need to take meetings in my closet and all the things that we were doing, right? Making dinner during what should be lunch and all these things that we were trying to do. One thing that I have encouraged people to do all the time, because I, I, I feel like I have the benefit of looking at this from a different perspective and really trying my best to find a way to center the people that I work with and not necessarily the work. I think oftentimes when we think about work, we think about what needs to get done. That's the first thing. It's the deadline. It's the deliverable. It's your boss's demands on you or your teammates' expectations of you. We don't think about the individuals doing the work. And if there's one thing that I believe we've learned from having gone through this experience over the last two plus years is that we have to find ways to center ourselves and administrative assistants, executive assistants, senior executive assistants alike have to do that probably more than others think that they have to do that. I oftentimes when I talk about assistant work, I still say we because 
in a way, I feel like some of the work that I do leans into that space. We've relied on assistance to move mountains, to bridge gaps, to connect people, hearts, minds, tasks, you name it. And their ability to find creative ways to pour into themselves, their ability to find flexibility in their day, their ability to rethink the work that they do and how they do it, it's just as important as every other role at an organization, if not more, because of the demand, spoken and unspoken, that's placed on an executive assistant. And I believe that's important. So when I have conversations with people and we're talking about like culture, or we're talking about the way that we work, or we're evaluating meeting cadences and all those sorts of things, we've gone through a process where we think about what's the goal we're trying to accomplish in this meeting, right? Are there different ways that we might be able to meet and engage? Do you, is it necessary that you put your camera on all the time? Is it necessary to do X, Y, and Z? And through asking those sort of questions, you find ways to create that flexibility and that balance. So if this is just an update meeting, go for a walk, take the meeting outside. We actually openly encourage people to do that because you'll find that you're going to get the best of them. When you sat behind a desk every day at your office, you had moments to get up and go for a break. You could go to lunch. You could do these things. You could, And now with the convenience of working from home, sometimes we just find ourselves being stuck behind a desk. And so I think it's a responsibility that we have is to encourage everyone to do that. It's so true. And I love the, very specifically, the example of taking, almost taking your meeting on a walk with you. If you think about when you're walking and you're, say, listening to a podcast or listening to some music or something, you're really listening because, yes, you're taking in the world around you, but you're actually actively listening. And when you're sitting at a, a computer or you've got your camera on, you're often looking at yourself, you're often looking at the other people, you're looking around what's happening in the room, what's hap- what's behind in somebody's living room, whatever it happens to be. But actually out on a walk, you you can solely focus on the conversation that's happening. So I think that's such a good piece of advice to give to our listeners today because it's something that probably isn't that encouraged and really should be because it makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. I think it's so funny because you're absolutely right. We can get so distracted just by going through whatever the motion is when we're sitting at this because I'm like, oh, I probably need to, oh, let me go order that. Oh, my light bulb. You're just tuned in to what that individual is saying and I find that during those times, I have more ideas and better questions because I don't know, I guess the guardrails that I need would be the outside versus the multiple screens on my desk and all the windows that are open in addition to the one that I'm looking at. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, completely. I'd like to get a little bit more information from you about the work that you do now. So I know that a lot of people will be interested in what a business manager, chief of staff, what that actually work, that work involves on a day-to-day basis. So I wonder if you can give us a bit of an insight into, I know this is tough for anybody, particularly the work (laughs) that, that we do, but what a sort of average day would look like for you? Yeah, that is a, it's a really good question. I think number one, I think it depends on what kind of business manager or chief of staff role you're in, different types, right? So it could be one that's primarily engaged in managing across the team. It could be one that's primarily connected to a senior executive. It could be one that's a combination of both. So for me and my role, it's a combination of both. So my responsibilities are serving as accountabilities to the senior leader over the business unit. We have 
five sub subgroup areas within our organization. So I have five peers of mine that are leaders of a subgroup of our business group. Within that dynamic, my responsibility would be to ensure that clear communication is shared across the organization. It would be to manage a variety of meetings that we have. We have a weekly meeting with approximately 120 or 30 attendees. I'm responsible for coordinating and managing. We also have bi-weekly senior leadership team meetings, and those are two-hour meetings where we think about what are the topics we need to bring forward for the senior leadership team group, what are some items we need to discuss. So that's another area of responsibility for me. We also have quarterly forums where we bring our entire business unit together, which is over 600 employees, and I'm responsible for driving the content for those meetings, as well as we also have, it's the third one, the weekly, the bi-weekly, the monthly... We have these little monthly, I used to call them, I'm trying to now shift them more to like AMAs, Ask Me Anything sessions. We used to call them coffee chats, a more inform, informal dialogue. So my meeting management requirements are in those areas. And it requires me, like I said, to reach across different business units and find out what are the top things of mine to you that we need to talk about, discuss, decide on and execute. Then it would be diversity, equity, and inclusion. We want to make that a part of the work that we do every day from the way that we hire, from the way that we interview, to the way that we manage meetings, to the way that we show up, to the way that we engage with one another. So we want to really build that muscle. I think we've learned over the last several years specifically, but probably more longer than that, is that you can't separate a person from this work. Like you, you can't just spice them and say, Hey, we want this part of you. We really don't want that other part of you. Um, so we really work to build that. And then the alignment and just making sure that this senior leader doesn't have to spend every day, all day going to each person to ask some questions. It would be my job to reach out across, gather the information, bring it back. And then he and I talk and we do that. So those different sort of focus areas cover my day from start to finish and every day. So there's not a day where there's a gap and not having to do one of those things. It just requires a bunch of that every day. And I think working remotely makes that a little unique and different so that I can't just get up and go to such and so's desk. It has to be a meeting. It has to be set up a certain way. So it's just a little slightly different, but we're finding our way to work through it to still maintain that level of efficiency that's required. It sounds busy and it sounds like you have to be across so many different aspects of the organization. I want to come back to a lot of what you've said, but I wonder out of everything that you've said there, what's the most challenging aspect of it? I think the most challenging aspect of it is finding the time to do all those things, right? Some things require switch movements and switch action. Some things don't. And I think the... One of the things that I used to appreciate about working in the office, I could just get up from my desk and go to my boss's office and say, hey, what do you think about this? I don't have that opportunity to do that and connect as quickly. So it requires he and I to really find ways to stay connected that don't always seem natural. But I think that would probably be the only challenge. I think overall, most people appreciate having someone else to go to because they know that the time of the senior person in leadership is it's in high demand. So there's not much of it. And if you want to get something done, you need to have decisions made. You need to have input. It's helpful to have someone that you can go to when you can't reach that person directly. 
Yeah. So how do you overcome that challenge? Because how do you work on that challenge, I should say, because it's definitely something that we're all still grappling with. But yeah, how do you go about making those connections when you work remotely? So I think when I, when working with my boss, it's different than when working with like my peers or other people in the organization. So when working with my boss, it's constantly reminding that this is required and this is needed because Sometimes in the work that they do, they forget that part. They're focused on, I have to get these things done. I have to get these things done. And they forget that there's an element of the information that they have or an element of themselves that's needed to kind of complete a task. I think when I, if I were to talk about how I work with my peers or others across the enterprise, it's easier, right? Because I think there's this view that, oh, this person's reaching out to me. got to make that person a priority. So it's a little easier to to make those connections and have those points of contact. And then obviously their schedule is slightly different than like the senior leader's schedule. So it takes a bit more intention with the senior leader. And I think there's just a belief that, hey, we can all figure this out with the others. And so there's, the both are important. They just both happen very differently. Yeah, I guess you can be a little bit less formal with colleagues. Yes. Yeah. So again, as I said, the role sounds very in-depth. So what do you enjoy most about it? I like it. Let's see. I think what fills my cup most about this role is that I am able to use some a few different things. I'm able to use some lived experiences of my own to influence decisions that we make. I'm also able to bring a level of inclusion and a different perspective into conversations like decision-making conversations that will impact the entire business unit in a positive way. I think sometimes that's a perspective that's not always in the room where the decisions are made. But I think that that's a perspective that's absolutely valued or should be regarded as such. So those are the two things that really inspire me. And I am goal-oriented. So I like to see a finished product. I love seeing work done. I love seeing the outcome. I love working with people and getting to know them and learn new ways of doing things as I do that. So I enjoy those three things. So can you tell us a little bit more about the diversity, equity and inclusion part of your role? Was this a part of the role that was there when you went for the job or is it something that you've created yourself within that role? And does it sit across the entire organization or is it within your business unit? So it is something that exists within our company. It's woven into the fabric of our company and how the company approaches most everything that they do. My boss in going through the interview process had expressed to me that he wanted to make diversity, equity, and inclusion central to the way that we operate and central to the culture that we build. So I knew going into this role that this was the expectation. I also knew going into this role that this was something that I, he knew I was passionate about it. I'm I serve as a co-lead for one of our ERGs, which are employee resource groups here at the at our company. So this was definitely something that is a part of who I am. And it's a part of what really drives me, inspires me, gives me life. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. So I really try to find ways to incorporate that. I think when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's so many ways that you can look at that. 
some people, when thinking about diversity, think about the things that they see right away. And what I try to do is help people to understand diversity from a different perspective. Yes, these are identities that you see. These are things that you can easily acknowledge about another person. But there are also other identities that we bring into a space. So we try to create moments where we really uncover that and explore that with one another because it matters. It matters in terms of how people show up for work. It matters in what resonates with them and what does not. It matters in terms of their level of engagement that you see or that you won't see. Inclusion as well. It is the same thing. And equity is so huge. So there, we try to think about it from a holistic perspective. So when it comes to our hiring practices, when it comes to the way that we meet, when it comes to the way that we engage, when it comes to the deliverables that we set, we need to ensure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is top of mind as it is central to the culture that we are building. And how does that manifest itself in the different environments in which you interact with other members of staff? Sure. So diversity, I think, first of all, I think one of the one of the things I love about our business unit is that every person on our senior leadership team or different people leader roles of the organization have some level of awareness and passion about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we, we all understand it. We all understand the importance and the value of it. We sit in different places when it comes to that. For us, it could be as we're thinking about recruitment, as we're thinking about promotions, as we're thinking about retaining talent, to really be intentional and look across our organization and our business unit and where are we missing an element? Where are we missing a voice? If we're making a decision, do we have all the voices in the room at the time to make the best decision? Or does everyone in the room share the same opinion? If that's the case, and we know we're not going to reach the desired outcome. And so those are ways that we actively engage that. And as I mentioned, it just requires a different level of intention. If you're used to moving through decisions or moving through your day-to-day work in a certain way for many years, it's going to be, it's going to take time for anyone to change those habits. And I think when you invite people on senior leadership teams or in decision-making groups that don't have the same opinion as you do, they don't have the same perspective as you do, they don't have the same lived experiences as you do, they're going to help you find ways to operationalize the things that you want to have happened. It's so encouraging. It's so wonderful to hear that. Again, as I said, from having worked in insurance companies, and I would imagine working in London for an insurance company is probably different to working in the States or other countries around the world. But from my experience, it was a very established, in a lot of ways, boys club type environment. It was very stage. So it's lovely to hear that there's another insurance organization somewhere (laughs) in the world that is is so open. And I love that. I think for a lot of people, particularly assistants, so many of us for such a long time have had to almost leave our, our everyday lives at the door and then walk into an office and not tell anybody about yourself, not talk about your family or your lived experience or your culture or your religion or where you're from, whatever it happens to be. You just go into this kind of corporate mindset. And it's crazy that we all did that for such a long time when really if you can bring your whole authentic self into work and share those opinions that come from the experiences that you've had, then that's got to be better. So it's so encouraging to hear that. It really, truly is. Oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think you are not going to get someone's best ideas 
by telling them that there's a certain part of themselves that they are not welcome to bring to work, nor are you going to get someone's best version of themselves when they feel as if there is a part of themselves that's not welcomed at a company. Now, for many years, I didn't talk about the fact that I had five children. For many years, I didn't talk about the fact that I was raised by a single mother. For many years, I didn't discuss a lot of parts of myself that I felt were integral to who I am today because I didn't feel like I could. I didn't feel like anyone cared. I didn't feel like it would help me at all. I didn't feel like anyone wanted to genuinely connect with me or understand me better. And the moment I, and I don't know, my grandmother used to have this expression. She would say, just live a little, meaning just, yeah, just, hey, you may not understand it right now, but give yourself some time and in a few years you'll get it. And so what I got from that was that I just needed to care less a bit about that. There's so many people now that are looking for jobs and exploring career options, and they're doing that. They're performing their search based on their values, not based on what these other companies and organizations want. And again, I think that's a, it's a product of, it's a byproduct of having gone through this experience over the last two plus years. You find more and more that you've given so much of yourself in so many different ways, but you don't really feel personally fulfilled. You don't really feel like the things you're experiencing at home, you're able to talk about. If you're working from home, you've brought your work home. Why not be able to bring those elements of yourself to the work that you do? So I think it takes those leaders that have the foresight, those leaders that have a passion to drive that sort of transformational growth in their organization that recognize the significance of allowing people, making it making it okay for people to bring their best selves, their best version of themselves and their ideas to that organization. Yeah. And not being scared of a different perspective yes. because we'd all love to live in, a, in, live in a sort of echo chamber where everything you think is what everyone else thinks, but it's just not the way that the world works. And actually having different perspectives will ultimately move an organization forward. I really hope that continues and the way the world is moving, people are much more open to those conversations. So I think it's fantastic that you're talking about it on the podcast. It's the first time we've explored diversity, inclusion and equity. I've mixed the words around, but I <laughs> but it's a great conversation to be had. So thank you for that. Yeah. No, I'm actually the question. I think you're right. It's just we've kind of tiptoed around this for a long time. And I think we're in a new season and we have the power to meet the moment. Yeah, I love that. I'd like to get a sense of what life is like for you after work. You spoke and it sounds like absolute heaven, your mornings. I feel like you're living the dream. But I'd love to hear what your evenings are like as well. So what happens when the laptop closes down? Does it close down? I know you said you you work a little bit later because of the time differences there. But what does your evening look like? Oh, that's a great one. So I love tinkering around in the kitchen. I just, my family and I, we have this expression. We say food is love. So many other people say the same thing. It's a shared expression. So I love to cook. And when I have the energy, because it's not always the case, but when I have the energy, I am preparing a meal. I will turn on some music and that will be how I just de-stress or decompress a little bit. Like it's almost like a if you can envision removing the work layers 
that's how I remove the work layers by just doing something that has nothing to do with anything else. If I'm with my kids, I'm all about my kids. I'm spending every minute with them. I'm trying my best not to be tempted to pick up my phone and scroll through something. So we're all trying to work through that bad habit. So we do that together. I enjoy weekend times. So when as a family, if we're able to do something or go somewhere, we will absolutely do that. If I want to be a vegetable, I am going to binge on something. And usually I have no idea what I'm going to watch. So what I sometimes end up doing is watching shows over again that I've watched before, which my family thinks I'm crazy about. But <laughs> yeah, it's me. It's mindless, right? There's no heavy lifting required. No deadlines associated with it. it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's only about what I want to do. And I love that. <laughs> it sounds like you've given, between having that number of children and also working as an assistant, it sounds like you've given a lot of yourself over the for over an extended period of your time to other people. Yeah. So it sounds lovely that you're able to go, do you know what? This is my time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to, as you said earlier, I'm going to fill my cup. So I love that you're in that stage. It's fantastic. It's I'm in my mind, I'm like, it you can get there. <laughs> so I love that. I love that you rewatch shows. It's so rare these days that anybody does that. So I love that you do that. I'm pretty boring and simple when it comes to most things. Live into that and lean into that season. And it looks different for every person. And it's not always easy. Some days I fail at centering myself. Some days I'm right back to trying to do something for someone else. And I have to remind myself like, it's not their time. So it's nothing that I've perfected, but it's something that I continue to work at. And I just allow other people that are close to me to remind me of that. I mean, I think that's important to have people in your life that can say, hey, should you really be working right now? It's the weekend. What are you doing? Have you taken, have you used your PTO? So those are kinds of questions that you want to welcome other people to ask you and to challenge you with, because we all know that left to ourselves, sometimes we make the worst mistakes. It's very true. I've got a couple of uh, questions before we round up. I'd love to get some tips and tricks from you and some advice that you can share with other assistants. So first of all, could you let us know or give some advice to assistants who are just coming into the role that maybe you wish somebody had told you when you first started your career? Oh, yeah. I'll say, okay, so That is an excellent question. And I would have really appreciated someone saying to me all the things. It would have been my experience. I would have loved for someone to say, hey, Aisha, let's go and grab a cup of coffee and sit me down and tell me that my life was about to become a whirlwind, that half of my brain was going to be shared with someone else's half. And I think that would have been like the greatest piece of advice. Instead, I learned that by doing. And at first I didn't always understand that. I didn't understand how much of myself I would need to avail and open up in order to make the decisions and the moves and navigate the role, the way that the different ways those roles required me to. I think building and maintaining a relationship with the person she support is the most important thing to really take the time to learn them understand them, anticipate their needs, pay attention closely to what they say, how they say it, and what they're leaving out, because those are keys and cues that will let you know what's most important to them. I think that I've always told people, walk around with a notepad. (laughs) Walk around with a notepad and a pen. So if you're not a notepad and a pen kind of person, I would say with your phone out, open up that note section. And every time you're in the presence of that person, be ready to capture something because though it may not be an official meeting, something is going to be exchanged 
that might be relevant later. And if you miss that moment and try to rely on our memory, then you're going to be back to you asking that person, hey, what did you say? And unspoken or not, they expected you to remember what they said in that moment. So I would say that. And then most importantly, I would say protect your time. Protect your time. It is so easy to get caught up in working crazy hours and being so flexible and contorting yourself that you lose yourself in that process. Yes. Do you want to meet the moment? Do you want to be the best assistant ever? Do you want to showcase your talents? Absolutely. But you don't want to lose yourself in the process. So create those healthy boundaries so that when work is not happening, you have something for you that is all about you and that will help elevate you. So when the next opportunity comes, you're going to be ready for it. Yeah. Very wise words. For assistants who are thinking about moving into a chief of staff role or the opportunity is there for them, is there any advice you can give them in terms of how to maybe work more in in a particular area within the assistant role to prepare themselves to move into a chief of staff role? I think that's a great question. I think that one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to think about what aspect or element of the assistant role really resonates with them? Where do they shine the most? Because a chief of staff can engage. So are you, do you lean more in communications? Find a way that you can continue to sharpen that communication arm of what you do to help elevate you to the next level. If you are a great connector, then continue to work on that. Continue to listen in, stay in tune with things that are being said and the spaces around you. Read the room understand who who are the most important people in the room, right? If you will, who are the people that a senior leader will defer to most and start building that relationship with that individual. It will help you gain a level of insight and understanding that you wouldn't ordinarily have just serving as an assistant. I think those are the being the things that I would recommend the most because some chiefs of staff focus more on finance. Some chiefs of staff focus more on alignment Some chiefs of staff focus more on communication. So there are different ways that you can engage. And I would say just find that one that speaks to you, that resonates to you, where you say, hey, I may not be an expert, but I know enough to be dangerous in this area. And that will help you to walk through that door when it's opened. Yeah, absolutely. And then my last question in terms of offering advice to other assistants, if the if assistants are working in an environment that isn't inclusive, again, if the, is there any advice that you can give to them maybe to have those conversations or make the environment more inclusive? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's an important one. I think that what I would say to anyone who notices that things are not as inclusive as you would want. I would pose a question to the senior leader and ask what they want to see and what is it that they want? Because you're not going to be able to move that needle very much without the support of that senior leader. So first and foremost, find out what does inclusion mean to them? What does diversity mean to them? What does equity mean to them? Begin that conversation with that senior leader. Continue having that conversation with that senior leader. And the more that senior leader is open to exploring that with you, then you'll be able to make those changes. Generally speaking, without the support of a senior leader, it's going to be very difficult to move that conversation forward. They may say, I really don't know much about it, but I'm interested in your perspective. Or these are the things that I think, but I don't really know how to do it. 
And so be prepared in those moments to go there with some ideas, some suggestions. Maybe there's a project that you could start. Maybe you could start facilitating morning coffees where you all talk about diversity issues or equity issues or cultural issues or societal issues. Maybe that's a start, but I would definitely start that conversation. Be prepared with some ideas and think about maybe one that you might be able to raise your hand for and then show how these things can work in that organization. I would imagine it takes a bit of confidence to do that. So I wonder how you've gone about having the confidence to have those conversations, but also a general question around confidence for you, how that's developed in your career. So I don't think confidence, maybe. I would say courage. We're not all made the same. We don't think the same. We don't always confidently walk into rooms and move around spaces. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, things that are really personal require courage and vulnerabilities. You have to be brave enough to have these awkward conversations. Be brave enough to bring up a topic that may not have been explored before. I think that's where you show up. So I've always leaned on this. I think about it, trusting and trembling, right? So you can be scared and move forward. You can be uncertain and move forward, but just move forward. Oh, I just want to pause for a minute. That's fantastic (laughs) advice. Absolutely fantastic advice. I'm going to absolutely live my life by that. That's wonderful. One last question before we wrap up, and uh, I'd always like to finish by asking each of our guests to share a little bit of love in the assistant industry and tell us some of your favorite publications, websites, Mm. training, anything that's helped you develop in your career. That is a great question. So I think one thing that has helped to develop, I I love podcasts. I love podcasts. That's like my new thing to do. I love reading. I love listening to stories and I love learning about other people's experience and journey. That is the one thing that I believe has really helped me. Another thing that I believe has really helped me is I just reach out to people and engage in conversations to learn more about them. I want to learn about how did you get to where you are? Tell me about your story. And then from those, I usually take back and think about, okay, what might I be able to apply based on what they said? What's one practice I can implement? What's one thing that I can do or work towards? And I just use it. I feel like as a collective, we have so much that we've done and explored and experienced. So it would be amazing to be able to do something based on or move forward because you are encouraged and inspired by something that someone else shared. I could speak to you all day and <laughs> I, I it's so interesting on a lot of the podcasts there's a definitely a shared conversation had between myself and the guests but when it comes to talking to you today I've done so much listening and have learned so much from you so I so appreciate you spending the time with us and sharing so much of your story and your journey and I think it's really inspiring. And I think for anybody who's wants to move into a different role or go and forge a path and get maybe get a promotion, I think listening to the podcast episode today is going to help them tremendously. So thank you so much, Aisha. I appreciate you, Nikki. Thank you for inviting me this morning. Thank you so much for listening to the EA Campus podcast. We would love for you to take a minute to subscribe to the EA Campus podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you could give us a review, we would so appreciate that too. 
If you want to check out the show notes, you can do that by going over to the eacampus.com forward slash podcast and take a look at everything we discussed. You can also find all the links to the resources, articles and tech that we mentioned during the show. If you want to join the conversation inside the EA Campus community, you will also find all of the information on the EA Campus website. The community continues to grow and we have an amazing group of assistants sharing their careers. We have ongoing events and training for our members and we would love to see ambitious and career-driven assistants join us. Thanks for your time and I hope you tune in again to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast.